Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. My name is Sultan Ghaznawi and I'm your host. Today I'm going to be speaking with Rafaela Rescolino from Uber, the ride-hailing giant from Silicon Valley. I have invited Rafaela to speak about marketing localization, something that's about to go through some serious transformation. Rafaela Rescolino is a Brazilian living in the San Francisco Bay Area for almost 11 years. She's currently a localization program manager at Uber and will be completing her fifth year in the company this year. Rafaela has a diverse background with bachelor's in communications and public relations, a college degree in business administration, and a certificate and project management. As most of us, she also had to try around other areas before she actually fell in love with localization. Languages have always been a passion for Rafaela, but never thought she could learn any other language than her own. So after she graduated in Brazil, Rafaela decided that she needed to be immersed in the language and culture of the country and only speak in their native language. She moved to the United States as an au pair so she could live with an American family and learn English. Rafaela speaks Portuguese, English and Spanish and is a proud member of the localization industry. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Rafaela. How are you today? Thank you for having me, Sultan. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm very excited about this opportunity to talk a little bit about my work in localization. I am so excited. You have no idea to have you here, to hear your perspective, because you represent a very unique area in localization, and, and we don't do enough in terms of the enterprise localization. So let me start by asking you about yourself and what you do. Please share a few words, Rafaela. Yes, so I am currently working as a localization program management for Uber, and I will be completing my fifth year in the company this year. You know, my background is very diverse. I have bachelor's in communications, public relations, college degree in business administration, a certificate in project management. However, none of those kind of felt like it was the right fit until I kind of found localization. But I do feel like it's also a trend uh, in the localization industry where a lot of people kind of go around and they they come from many different backgrounds and localization is kind of like just the right fit for us. Yeah, languages have always been something I was interested in and... You know, after I graduated in Brazil, I decided that I really needed to learn a new language. Even though I tried to do while I was in Brazil, it wasn't, it never actually, you know, I I could never actually speak. I tried French, I tried English, and they were just not going forward. I just couldn't speak. So I decided to come to the U.S. as an au pair to take some classes and you know, live with an American family and finally learn English. And I'm not going to lie, it was not easy at the beginning, (laughs) but I made it through. Here I am about, (laughs) you know, talking on a podcast uh, in this language that I feared so much. No, uh, your English is great. I mean, uh, obviously, you're now working in one of the best uh, organizations in the world and and running the the localization team there. It's it's something. With that introduction, thank you so much for that introduction, Rafael. Um, what motivated yeah, yeah. you to to join the localization space? Uh, was there anything specific that drew you towards it? 
After I graduated from college here, I started my search for what was the right fit. So I did an internship in marketing. It wasn't really the right fit, though I really enjoy marketing. It just wasn't the right fit. So I tried office assistant, more trying to use my business administration degree, and I really didn't enjoy the job. So I started looking again, and I got an interview as a localization coordinator at Google. Though I didn't understand what localization really meant at the moment, I was excited that I could use my project management skills that I have acquired. So I was like, okay, uh, I can definitely learn about the industry, about the area. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have already this other background that that will fit well. And that's how I started. And then I started diving more into the localization world, trying to understand and learning on my day to day. So that's pretty much how I started. And uh, Rafaela, let me ask you this. What is your current view of uh, this industry? To you, what does it look like from where you're sitting? Is it in a, are we in a good spot? Is this industry, compared to everything else, headed towards uh, some sort of turbulence? What are your thoughts? Honestly, I, I do see the industry going upwards. I think the world is more and more connected every day. And with the pandemic, it's, it was just so clear you know, the push for this consumption of globalized content. And from where I'm sitting, I think localization will keep driving and technology, it's going to be one of the main support system for it. You know, the tech industry expanded relying on localization, even though it was kind of like I stumbled way of doing it. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, you know, they start their products, they don't really plan to expand as much or, or they don't plan localization from the get-go, which is uh, until today, a battle that I think most localization teams on the enterprise side uh, go through. But I think the tech industry, since it's it's so accessible all over the world, is definitely an industry that relied on localization and made localization grew so much, right? And now I think we are kind of going back and, and following their steps and our future is looking into, you know, we started with MT, but we are now looking at AI. We're looking at machine learning and those are all technologies that many other tech co- companies are also using on their on their end. That's a very interesting perspective, Rafaela. And one thing I hear very common, uh, in fact, my the last episode of my podcast was dedicated to this is because in enterprise, there's a lack or a gap of knowledge about localization and evangelization is one of the main efforts that a lot of our colleagues have to go through and, and it comes at a very high cost. So given the fact that you work in a, a startup or, or a technology-based company based out of Silicon Valley, basically, do you find it less challenging to deal with and the folks who are driving the technology to understand localization and what it is. And do they see the value and what you do uh, without you explaining it to them? I can definitely see the difference uh, from when I joined the company to where we are right now. I think it was very unclear when we started. The, the localization team was just, you know, getting started. Uh, we were four or five people at the moment. So it was really early states where... Uh, the company really didn't understand what we were doing, why we needed a whole separate team to just translate the content, you know, just put it, an automation on it and let it go. And nowadays, uh, I feel at least they they come to us and they have the, the understanding or at least the basic understanding of 
how their products are only viable in those countries or in those languages, which we're not even looking so much at countries, but we're looking at language that could be used anywhere in the world. So I could be in the US and I could be using my phone in Portuguese. And they, they understand that there is not just the translation part of it, but there's the whole complexity of how we do that and how we deploy all of this content. You're right because uh, when we do we, when we talk about localization, it's not just text; it's it's packaging or adapting your entire product for a different culture and people who are not used to the norms where the product was created. So I, I'm glad to hear that at your enterprise, um, there is an understanding and expectation that there is a lot more that goes on in localization than just simply uh, converting words, right? Yes, definitely there is, I, and I think the product side, you know, like localizing the actual UI of our app, it's a little bit more straightforward. But then when you go, for example, into the marketing side, the understanding that there is a need for a hyper localization, that there is a need for understanding the situation of that country at that right exact moment, considering how the company is doing, how the market is doing, and what will be the best language to talk to the users about this certain campaign or this certain information that you're about to send, it's it's crucial to to make your position in the market. That's that's a very good point, Rafael. And and with that, I would like to segue into the main topic of our conversation today, which is localization in the marketing sphere. Uh, why don't you introduce us to what localization for marketing actually looks like? I would say, you know, you need to take into account everything I'm going to be saying. It is from the perspective of the enterprise side, but localization within the marketing, it's becoming, or it's more and more visible to the marketing managers or to the marketing teams that it's an essential need. They can't deploy a content, not even in the US without localizing. You know, if they localize, they, they send some comms in for our drivers there are a lot of drivers in the US that don't speak English and they rely on using you know the the app and seeing all the communications in their native language uh, they're more comfortable they they just need that support so the the impact that you're gonna have if you localize and if you don't localize it's very clear nowadays on the marketing side as well and if you're looking as i said like product content it's a little bit more straightforward when you look at the marketing content you're looking at the most creative content within the company the the type of content that you're gonna get you you have a range of different content depending on the channel that you're using for example if you're if you're going on for CRM content, they're a little bit more transactional. It's in, you know, it's an email. They're probably just informing you about something more straightforward. However, if you if you're looking at um, the social media campaigns, they are more catchy, more trendy. They tend to have more local nuances, and and they are more challenging to to be localized. And we need to adapt and be able to provide that 
for our internal stakeholders. Um, they're looking for very specialized type of localization where some of them will say transcreation, some of them will say hyperlocalization. At the end of it, what they're looking for, it's a it's to get their message through where the user will the user will see themselves in their message. They will see that they're fit within that message and, and they're like, okay, I'm part of this. And they want that to happen for all languages that we are sending. And, and that's pretty much what our goal with the localization on the marketing sphere is. It's trying to pass that information and give the same feeling as as if you're reading in English. The, the thing is that every company uh, is uh, telling that they are doing localization, right? So, but all they're doing is providing translation, uh, some of them. But as localization, mm-hmm. as a buyer, as an enterprise, you're looking for more than just text to be translated. Oh. You're looking at nuances, you're looking, you just talked about that briefly. So you can tell me uh, about how much the market is confused the suppliers are confused about localization and how it affects the the localization economy. Like in your case, for example, as a buyer, you are running into difficulties uh, identifying the right uh, supplier or something like that, right? Yes. Okay. I would say for this, it's it's def- on the marketing side. It's even more clear as as an issue than any other side because, as I mentioned, we need something that is taking into account not just the nuances of of the language they're taking in account the company they need to understand the company they need to understand um and that that's what it, it means providing you know a real localization it's they need to understand what is the whole surrounding of that message to be able to provide a good localization and not just word by word translation and and we hear uh, a lot from our stakeholders as well, because they believe if we are processing something like that, it's just going to be word by word translation, right? Um, and and that's how we try to emphasize and show them the difference of what is the difference between translation, localization, globalization, internationalization. If they do understand those differences, and 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 we are saying we are providing localization, we are training resources, we are making sure the whole context is there so we can provide localization for them. And uh, that is a brilliant way of putting it together. But Rafaela, does that add to the complexity because people don't understand what your expectations are? For example, if you're working with uh, one of your suppliers and they just expect that you're translating words, um, you know, uh, verbatim for them, but your expectation is that the translation you're getting for them will be will fit nicely into your localization puzzle that that you're putting together as an organization, uh, which will appeal to your riders or your customers and and that specific market. Do you see that your supplier not playing the right part is causing complexity or problems for you delivering your product? Yes, if they don't, you know, if they're if they're not delivering up to standards to to what the math the message was or what the intent of the message was considering their scenario we are definitely you know missing the point or uh, we could be in legal risks there's many many different things that that it could happen if our localization it's not well done and and that's for that i said like we train our resources we measure the quality on every single project we're processing we make sure 
we are always on top of that. And if something is off, we are looking at the root cause of it. We are, you know, talking with our with our team and seeing what what is needed to to make sure that issue is not going to happen again, or how we're going to bring the quality up and meet our KPIs. So, mm-hmm. so we're definitely looking at that on an everyday basis. I see. And uh, if you were to break down marketing localization, Rafaela, what are its main components and how do you develop a process around that? We have from types of engagements within Uber that are very different. You know, the, the end user, which will be the writer. And you also have restaurants on the other end, which is a B2B type of communications. We sort of break down marketing localization on our end by lines of business and channels within the marketing teams. Right. First of all, we're doing uh, lines of business to make sure we are saving our translation memories and all of our content. It's nicely separated depending on the audience you're referring to because we have very different types of audience within Uber. You, you could be speaking to a writer, but you also could be speaking to a restaurant, uh, which will be a B2B type of communication, which is very different than what you will be talking to a, a, a writer. So that's the first approach we have. And then the second approach, it's by channels. As I said, like CRM will have something a little bit more transactional and we can have a process that could be a little bit lighter on the end that we we don't need to double check with local teams about their take on that translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you go into some of the of the content that it's a little bit more creative, like an ad or you know performance marketing in general, our our process will be a little bit heavier on the end that we need to ensure that local teams that have this ground experience are also taking a look and and giving their take and giving their opinion and telling us where our teams could get better or you know which terms and and sometimes they they have to have a whole you know back and forth to decide what will be the best terms and you know the the knowledge from the ground and the knowledge from the language, when they are combined, we definitely seen the best results. And marketing as an industry and as a business function covers a plethora of activities and assets. What parts of marketing really benefit from localization and how? I would say all marketing channels nowadays, will, they, they definitely benefit from localization. There's no marketing content that I could classify as not needing our support, at least in our case, right? The types of assets could go from something printed, which nowadays is more and more rare, or it could be something online. And that could be the difference on how many languages you're going to localize. Do you want something a little bit more target or you want to go for a global uh, what we call global, right? We support more than than 50 languages at Uber. And we define this language scope based on what will be their benefit, right? From localization. If it's a platform that it's easily accessible by anyone around the world, then you're going to deploy this. And this is going to be a feature that is going to be available everywhere. 
then sure, it makes sense for us to localize into all languages. So it doesn't matter where you are, you can access in the language that you want. However, if it's a feature that is very targeted to the U.S., it's never going to go in outside. Then we're going to analyze and see which language in that exact platform and in this country or this region that you are deploying, what it makes more sense for us to localize. But I think overall, the whole marketing sphere would benefit from, from having their, their assets and, and creatives localized. Please explain to us, Rafaela, about how to develop an efficient uh, multilingual desktop publishing process and workflow. That's sort of why I was hired uh, at Uber. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a lot of experience um, from my Google job on on desktop publishing process. When I started at Uber, this was one of the main characteristics that they liked because I initially started with the marketing team. They were the ones who hired me with the blessing of the localization team to support them on that. So I was pretty much helping the designers to make sure their assets were done to be globally localized. That was the first step. You need to make sure your designers understand what are their decisions during the design will affect how localization is going to happen, right? How complicated or how easy is going to be to localize that asset. So I think that that's the first step is ensuring that you know, you're working with a marketing team or whoever is developing the content to make them understand what are the, the needs, you know, what type of file you can process, you cannot process all of those definitions in before. And then you're going to work with your, it could be done internally or externally. You're going to have to make sure that gets translated. How you're going to get that translator is going to have to export. Does the tool you are translated support that file type? And after it's translated, you're going to look into how that's going to be post-processed. I think one thing that was very important that we added to our workflow, it's making sure there's always QA step um, mm-hmm. after all of the assets are post-processed. And then you have a final round of to finalize those assets. So essentially, you kind of need to have hands-on on before, during translations and after you need to make sure language are taught design from the get-go. It's thought about what what will be the, they need to understand what it comes after they finish the design. So they prepare the best way possible. So essentially see the big picture in terms of how they fit into it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Rafaela. Uh, With print media shrinking uh, in both in terms of influence and and volume, do you still see a need for DTP, in particular multilingual DTP? Oh yeah, for sure. I would say all of the DTP projects that I ever processed, 2% of them were actually for printing. Most of them were actually digital content that will be done for to be posted on the website or to be used on a CRM email or a lot of them are B2B content to onboard restaurants and that all of those are digital app stores they all need digital assets most of them mock-up of the app that you're putting on the market so there's like endless types of DTP that are done and they're really digital nowadays. Now, digitalization of content and information is no more a choice, but uh, an imperative, especially for enterprises like like your organization. When it comes to marketing, prioritizing your content over that of your competition to a 
a customer is paramount and and that is where seo comes in or search engine optimization please explain to us what multilingual seo is and how it affects business and marketing in general seo is huge um it, it definitely affects all all of the the performance marketing content right if the wording on the marketing side it's not taught well you you definitely gonna miss some of that traffic or you know those users so how they look into keywords how they look into your web structure how they look into every content and and i i I think there was a lot of misunderstanding on on the seo not a misunderstanding but there was at least from my side at the beginning to to think uh they were very focused on metadata title and that was it and and the more i started working with them i started seeing that they go way beyond that uh, to make sure the website will be a pleasant place for the users and will bring, you know, conversion, they will bring traffic. Um, so there's different ways of looking at that, but it's definitely a, a huge part of marketing and, and how uh, the company is positioned in that market. And uh, Rafael, thank you so much for your answer. Uh, but uh, let me ask you this question. People are familiar with SEO to some degree. Some people probably even implemented uh, search engine optimization activities uh, themselves by adding tweaking or refreshing content and sharing links and so on. Multilingual SEO is a different beast. How do you categorize the activities and what process should be developed to implement a successful multilingual SEO campaign? I think we have gone through at least a few different versions of how we we look at SEO. There was times where our SEO teams will work with external agencies to, to create content that were very specific to certain countries and they will publish in their blogs, uh, on our blogs, right? Or sometimes they will send us keywords to be used as much as possible. But those were all a little bit more broad approach, I would say. Nowadays, our SEO team has a, a more focused approach where they go in you know, every page and, and every single part of the website and they look at every single content and where they could add content, you know, cut short, where it should be optimized on the language. So there's not just that of like, oh, let's put some nice keywords here and there and, and share some links and that should do it. They, they're definitely looking at every single spot that they're moving and they're testing and they're making sure they, they follow up with the performance. They're looking at the data. So yeah, I, I think nowadays um, it's, a, it's a lot more focused and we are here to support them to ensure that, you know, any of, of the translations needs localization is done mm-hmm. and and it's grammatically correct even if sometimes they have to kind of come up with a version and we just make sure that that it's a, the best version that they could have with those keywords so we have a whole system of of how we do that and it's definitely a beast <laughs> we yeah our global seo team was just like last year 
recently reshaped. And I think that's when we started a new path of working with localization and SEO. So we have a very close partnership. We make sure our steps are all aligned to have a successful multilingual SEO strategy. Talking about uh, the process and campaign, uh, you need partnerships for that. Where do you source your SEO activities? Since the majority of our listeners are translation localization executives, they would want to know how they can add value in in multilingual uh, search engine optimization process. So we rely on our internal SEO team at Uber. Mm -hmm. They are the ones doing all the SEO activities and we are just making sure we, you know, we apply all of that uh, into the translations, but they are the ones and they're not currently working with any external agencies. So, and the SEO team relies a lot on local teams to also research, provide any insights on that market before we are actually able to implement anything. Shifting gears a little here, Fela, let me ask you about technology. We are past the time when generic localization technology would be applied to localization subfields. What has your experience been with uh, localization technology? Can can you share a few words? Yeah, as I said at the beginning, I think technology is it's walking side by side with localization, and we are just following the steps of many other technology companies, and we're trying to implement those newer types of technology into our field as well. The future will be with more technology in it. It doesn't mean that we are we are changing completely how we do it, but we will make that a little bit more automated or smarted in certain ways where with the machine learning or AI, the suggestions or where the resources that our translators will rely on are a lot smarter than just the machine translation. So I, I see, you know, combining all of those, it's going to become something where our industry, industry is, it's going to grow with technology. Continuing with that, Rafaela, let me ask you about the role of uh, artificial intelligence. You just mentioned machine learning. If anything, I believe marketing will benefit from AI and machine learning in so many ways, including using natural language generation to generate creative content in other languages customization of ads and so on. What are uh, your thoughts? Yeah, the, both of them, AI and machine learning, are definitely two big promises when you look into the marketing world. I think, for example, SEO and all the performance marketing content, it's something that we can actually pinpoint what it's performing well and what it, what it's not. And looking into that and kind of teaching our our resources that those are the big big and best content to be used and later on yes it's like the generation of the content mm-hmm. we're going to get to a point where we can generate content that not just sounds good but it performs well and i think that's where we're heading do you think that uh, technology will change the user or buyer their habits and behavior does it differ from market to market and And how can you tailor your multilingual content for each market with the help of technology? Yes, technology does change and it's used different from market to market. And we need to to take that in consideration, right? To the point that we have many times to be in the middle and work with between local teams and global teams to ensure that a feature that it's being launched 
supposedly was going to be launched globally, but they need to understand that if if we launch that globally, it's not going to be used the same way in Brazil or in India, just because how they their culture is or how their current situation is, it's very different. So I think um, not just how technology is it's used and how we can we can pass the message, but how the product gets globalized, how the the features get decide on on where it's going to go or not. It's it's all kind of correlated, and it needs to be tailored for each market sometimes. That's a, a very interesting response. Thank you so much, Rafaela, for that. Am I right in understanding that? text-only localization will become a part of a large scheme, which will include such things as video and and speech localization and so on. Yeah, I feel like video localization, it's definitely one of the big promises of our future. More and more, you see the the users needing and wanting to consume this type of content in many different languages. And then I would say it's not just in movies or let's say official content, but there is a lot of other content that, you know, somebody wants to share and they want to make sure that gets across many different markets. And, and that's where it comes, where technology might be able to also support that, where you don't need to be an official, have an official company to be able to localize something, you, you would be able to at least have some sort of localization that, that gets with technology and, and, and that will be easily accessible on the markets that you're, you're looking at. And uh, let me ask you how you view this segment of the localization industry moving forward. What trends and, and developments do you foresee in the marketing localization sphere in the next 24 months? I think the marketing localization, the the biggest thing on the next 24 months, at least on our side, it's the focus on, on trans creation and content that is hyper-localized. And sometimes that would mean... So I, I think that the, the difference between trans creation and hyper-localization where our stakeholders define transcreation almost as copywriting, right? It's, a, mm-hmm. it's like getting the English content, referring to that, but recreating that in another language rather than, than getting a very creative copy and making that possible in that local language. So a joke that wouldn't make sense and, and the person has to transform and not use word by word to make sure that joke gets passed on to that language. So I think th- those two things are are very big nowadays on the marketing localization and focusing on that, it's one of our big bets for sure. What are your thoughts, Rafaela, and, and advice for folks who are working in the marketing localization space? What are they doing that they could be doing better today? Uh, I would say the more we learn about our partners in marketing and and how they use their content, how what is the before and after localization, what happens to the content, how they create the content, and then after, how are they going to deploy? Influencing those two sides as making sure the content writers, the whoever is creating the campaign, is also thinking that this campaign is going to be localizing to this X number of languages, and then after. 
making sure that the deployment of that content makes sense with the same scope that you you thought before. Because if those are not, then a lot of that get a lot of the localization that you that you prepare gets lost. For example, if if you get a global campaign, it gets localized with the idea. You know, this language is going to be used for any user around the world that speaks this language. And then the deployment, it's only going to send the language for the primary country. It's not going to deploy for, so let's say, Spanish, Mm -hmm. Spanish Latin, right? They localize as thinking this is going to be globally. They can hyper-localize per se to say about Mexico. And then when the deployment is done and they only do for Mexico, you just lost the opportunity to hyper-localize that content and be very specific and get that through your message. So making sure, you know, the before and after localization makes sense to the approach you are doing during localization to the context you're giving your, your linguists. And telling them, hey, this campaign is going to be localized to this and this. We should think about this. Here is the brief. Here is that. That's my main thing that I have learned. It's to make sure those two words, the before and after localization, they also make sense on how you are approaching that localization. Let me ask you this. What are your expectations from your vendors and partners? How can they make your work easier, Rafaela? I think it's a two-way road them uh, always passing on feedback and making sure we are improving the ways of working and us connecting them to the right people to make sure also they get their feedback. And I say because sometimes we cannot give feedback on specific language, but if you do have the resources within the company and they can help each other, I think that's also what we expect. So I think this flow of information, if you are able to do in your company, I think that's the best way. That uh, brings us to the end of this interview, but certainly uh, this conversation will continue in, in the future episodes, hopefully. Of course, I'm, I'm very excited because there's so much to cover. My last question to you, Rafaela, is uh, what are you excited about at this difficult time in our history? What do you hope that will happen to make things uh, better for all of us? What I'm excited about, I think we are all in certain ways learning something from these difficult times. Uh, we definitely learned that working remotely, it's not as scary or impossible. Uh, I think many companies, at least on the Silicon Valley, has already approved that idea. So that's one good thing, right? We can think about, at least for us, it's learning how to to make this world a little bit more globalized, even on our day-to-day work. And my hope is that, as I said, the industry is actually looking upwards and we'll keep growing and evolving with against all of those difficult times. I think we, we actually got more visibility as this pandemic hit and, and we're going to come out of this stronger for sure. I had an amazing time speaking to you, Rafaela. I think you brought a, a very fresh perspective uh, and a valuable uh, perspective to our understanding of marketing localization. Uh, I'm sure people listening to us benefited at least in one way, and and that means our objective has been met. The idea behind this podcast is to make sure we give people the tools and thoughts to improve their business and uh, in the localization space. So with that, thank you for your time and for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate the time, and uh, I hope we can keep this going. Yeah. 
absolutely very excited about that. Thank you. As usual, I take the time to reflect on the subject of our conversation today. Rafaela discussed some really important things that goes on in the marketing localization space. I think we are on the verge of a major disruption in this area. While creative translation and localization will continue to be a major driver of revenue in our industry, outside forces like machine learning and in particular natural language generation will impact on how we implement marketing localization. This will affect everything such as transcreation, authoring ads and much more. I believe that some linguists will need to shift from converting marketing copies for other languages into copy editors for the content created by NLG. It is indeed a very exciting time to be in this industry. I had a great conversation today with Rafaela Rascolino from Uber. She touched upon some very interesting ideas on marketing localization and gave us insights into how localization is implemented in a technology-driven company. I am sure you have learned at least one thing that you could apply to your business. Please make sure to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your choice of podcast platform. Make sure to give this podcast a five-star rating. It will certainly be a boost for us. Also, don't forget to give us your comments, feedback, and constructive criticism wherever you're listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.